Hello, I am Becca. I'm playing Mira, and she is a tiefling druid. Kind of your standard-looking tiefling. She's a little on the shorter side, about 24 years old, with small black ram's horns, and she has black eyes. She wears uh, patchwork clothing that she's... It's clearly handmade. <laughs> she's kind of been on her own for some time, living in the Dernal Forest. But yeah, so she's she's a an outlander, I believe is the D&D term. Oh, yeah, yeah. But recently she's been having these dreams that have motivated her to finally step out of her comfort zone and figure out what brought her here. Yeah, it is. It's like finally time. It's finally time. <laughs> so she's right on this the edge of the forest. Yeah. Let's uh let's just jump into it then. Mira, you've been staring at your feet here for what feels like a lifetime. But this isn't the first time you've been here. The line between the forest and the town isn't clearly marked, but to you it it might as well be, especially this evening. Are you really going to do this? You take a moment to contemplate the decision you keep putting off making. You've crossed this imaginary line many times before, but today's different. What was it like, though, the first time you stepped foot into Port Crescent? The first time... Mira went to Port Crescent. She was really young. So she was around the age of six and mostly stuck to the forest out of fear, but realized soon enough that though she had some skill she could forage, she needed more. So she found herself on the edge of this town, didn't even know it was called Port Crescent when she saw it, but knew that there had to be scraps of food and scraps for clothes. Mm-hmm. Mira didn't really interact with a lot of people the first time she was there. She she did a lot of people watching, mm-hmm. but was kind of looked at differently where she grew up. She was the only person like her. Uh, and because of that, there was a lot of distrust around her and her family. So going into Port Crescent, it was, it was an in and out kind of mission. Mm-hmm. Take the food to survive. Maybe people watch to see if they were kind or angry mm-hmm. or malicious and then run back to her comfort zone that was the forest yeah that's fair i mean you were young you were in need you could easily justify taking some things here and there if it meant you could survive small blades and scraps of rope for crafting shelter from the houses on the edge of the timberline burrows some small discarded bits of flint and steel left over from some kind of celebration at the burkstaff park for warmth but did you ever take anything that wasn't purely utilitarian Twice. Um, And the first was a liar. She had seen it outside of some tavern, and it was a little worse for wear. But her father had taught her a little bit in terms of tinkering around. Mm -hmm. So she took this broken liar sitting on the back of the tavern because she was mesmerized by how beautiful it was. She fixed it up and taught herself to play. Uh, And then the other thing was books whenever she could take it. It reminded her of home, and it allowed her to get out of her own head for a little bit. For the most part, she was comfortable in the forest and being on her own, but there was always part of her that craved social interaction. You know, she Mm -hmm. she came from a family that was close-knit, her mom and her dad and her sister, and she left out of fear, not really out of wanting to. Mm -hmm. So the books were her way to connect with people. Yeah. And it's kind of how she learned about people for better and for worse. <laughs> you know, there's there's some naivety there because books are, are uh, not always the most accurate, but... <laughs> but it's something. It's something. <laughs> I mean, in the, in the very least, she learned a couple spells that came in handy from some magic books she found. Yeah, absolutely. 
And for all your discreet excursions to the outskirts of town, you've been cautious not to get too comfortable here. This isn't your home. You're not sure where home is anymore or if if you even care to have one. As you stand here towing the invisible line between the trees and the city, your mind wanders back to before, to the good times with your family, before you, well, maybe ran away isn't quite the right way to put it. How did you even get here? There was a night. It was it was a very bad night. And Mira woke to smells of smoke and to fog around her and had no idea what was going on. She didn't know where her family was at that time, couldn't find her sister. So she did the only thing she knew how to do, which was run out of the house mm-hmm. to look for someone. And there's always been this one, one guard in particular. He was this big, imposing paladin type man who was so righteous in his own service to whatever cause that he distrusted Mira. You know, she was a tiefling. She was a sign of evil in his town. So as she ran out of her home and, and saw him, the, the fear overtook her and she, she just kept running. And all she remembers hearing is this guard blaming her, even if she wasn't to blame Mira always had an affinity for fire being a tiefling. You know, she knew her way around flames, but this seemed different. But she couldn't help but second guess what happened. So she ran and just never came back. Did she think it was her fault? She played in her head, for sure. You know, she she spent her whole life being told by these outside forces, other than her family, that she was evil, that she had potential to do horrible things. Um, And even though she had never done anything close to that, maybe a little bit of sparks to entertain her sister. Mm -hmm. She didn't know if she was asleep and a nightmare turned into casting or Mm -hmm. she, at six years old, the imagination runs wild. Yeah. She let that fester for so long. Yeah. I think that was, that was likely on your mind for a good long time, even now, probably. And it was, I mean, it was really tough for you in the beginning out on your own. You were fortunate enough to have learned a little bit about woodworking from your father, not that you had much call to make furniture or the like, but you know enough to make small, if perhaps a bit unpretty, shelters. Knowing how to whittle large branches to a point so that you could drive them into the ground came in handy. I think we flash forward a couple years, though, and we're watching your nimble and practiced fingers pluck berries from a bush and catch them in the makeshift basket that you wove from small twigs, And you've gotten good at it. Efficient. Which is great, because today you found a lot of them. It reminded you of your neighbor's garden back home. The bushes were lined up in rows, and they were producing more berries than any you'd seen in the forest before. You were so focused on this treasure trove of fruits that you never even heard it come up behind you. What happened that morning? It's odd, because Mira took a comfort to this lifestyle. Used to seeing animals and creatures of all kinds. But the yellow of the pair of eyes that stared at her were totally foreign. It was a large creature imposing and feline and black with these piercing eyes. She was caught so off guard and fear took her. And the instinct to run came up. But for some reason, this breathtaking creature just fascinated her in a way she couldn't tear her eyes. And it was almost like this creature stared at her with amusement. If, if a panther could have amusement in its eyes, <laughs> it did. Um, and before 
she knew it. Um, she thought maybe she was hallucinating, possibly a bad berry or something. <laughs> the panther shifted forms. And in front of her stood a weathered older man, looked, <laughs> looked like he lived in the forest, you know, <laughs> had, had sun-kissed skin and long hair and a long, long beard. And he turned out to be the elder of a druid tribe who was nearby. Um, she had stumbled on their lands and that's why they were so plentiful. Mm-hmm. And rather than shooing her away, he took pity on her and taught her some skills how to care for the land around her to make it productive for her. Mm -hmm. She didn't stay with the community, but she would visit in these small patches and he would teach her little magic tricks little by little. And that just evolved into her learning druid craft in its most basic form. Yeah. And you you got really good at it. At what point did you decide that you had learned enough to part ways with them? It was after a couple of years of these brief meetings, she felt herself getting a little attached to them, Mm -hmm. which scared her as well. And she knew that eventually she would have to figure out more for herself. Yeah. So she said goodbye to the tribe and started a new journey. We're back in the present now. Your feet still immobile. You keep wondering why you can't bring yourself to do this. As you look towards town, you see a small inn with a wooden sign in the shape of a silhouette of a wolf. And as you try to convince your feet to move, you watch a large half-orc man wiping sweat from his brow and pushing into the door. And as it swings open, you see inside briefly. And the sight of people gathering inside, cheerfully eating and drinking, it, it fills you with determination. You take a step and another. Before you know it, you're at the door. What do you do once you're inside? I see the half-orc man order his food. So she goes to the innkeep, uses a little bit of her charm to try to get a room, and then sits in the back of the inn and takes out a notebook where she's been recording the memories of these nightmares she's been having and is looking through them and is scanning the room, just trying to see who, who she can go to. Yeah. Who looks like they'd be willing to help and give answers. Yeah, if there's anything you learned from the books you've taken over the years is that people are probably generally good and want to help. That and that all good stories start in places just like this one. As you look about the room and adjust to the lack of solitude you find yourself experiencing for the first time and as long as you can remember, your eyes drift from person to person. The innkeeper you just met who gave you the room, her small daughter, quiet but certainly underfoot in a way that reminds you of your sister who clung to your mother's side. There are a handful of patrons here as well, eating and laughing together about the day's work at the lumber yards and harbors, but only a few of the people here really catch your eye. The half-orc man, clearly tired from a day of hard work, hunched over the long table, patiently awaiting his meal and making the smallest of talk with the man behind the counter, An elven man in dark garb writing a letter at a table nearby, and though you can see the letter plainly, the symbols on the page are like no written language you've seen before, and it reminds you how vast the world beyond the forest and even this island must be. You also note a woman at a small table in the corner, sipping her drink as she does her best to hide her repeated glances across the room. You think to yourself that if you can see it though, she may not be succeeding. And lastly, you follow her gaze across the room to a slender man in strange clothing who's poring over a small stack of books by the fireplace. 
You can see why the woman seems to be staring, too. He's facing partly away from you, but you can clearly see the white mask that he wears. And what's more, he's got a small red... Is that a dragon? Perched on his shoulder, and it too seems to be interested in the book the man is holding. I notice the figure by the, the fireplace in particular stands out. The stacks of books and... Mira doesn't know much about what she's doing, but she knows that a learned person would be helpful in gathering information. So she starts to make her way towards this figure, but there's something strange about him as well in a, in a way she hasn't encountered. The mask that he wears, um, she's not even sure she's seen a pseudo-dragon before outside of illustrations and books. <laughs> so uh, intimidated and anxious and nervous, she just makes her way to her room for the night carefully places down her books and the quarterstaff she's carrying, takes a moment to reflect and just lays down and knows that in the morning she'll face what she's been avoiding for the past 20 years or so, finding out what happened to her family. Hey, thanks for checking out these prologue bonus episodes before the main campaign starts on Tuesday, July 13th. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Vibe Proficiency, and we'd really love to hear from you. Uh, don't forget to rate and review on iTunes if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, other than that, we just really can't thank you enough for sharing the show around and getting excited for its release with us. All right, talk to you soon. <laughs>